0: While we were guilty, with no remedy by our own strength, you stepped down and rescued us, God. Thank you for doing that. Oh, Lord, we just confess the ways that we fall short of your glory. Most of us don't need any convincing, God. We know that our sin is ever before us. We know, God, how we have spurned your grace. And so, Lord, we just come asking your forgiveness and at the same time delighting in your forgiveness, God. We know you offer it freely. We know you are not stingy. We know that you are abundant in your kindness. And so, God, I just thank you, Lord, for being who you are. God, thank you for gathering us this morning. Lord, we've come because we want to hear from you, Lord. Our souls are parched from the week behind us, or maybe we're weary because of the week in front of us. And and so, Lord, we just want to come and hear from you. Lord, thank you for the church family. Thank you for the visitors. Thank you uh, for the gospel. Thank you for giving us a reason to hope today. Speak through me in power, God. Grant us the the, the blessings, God, of ears to hear your voice and eyes to see you move. In the name of Jesus, I pray all this and all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Let's give God a hand clap wherever you're at. Praise the Lord. You may be seated, church. What's up? Good morning. How y'all doing? Good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, Man, here we are. It's August. I bet y'all didn't think in March you'd be wearing a face mask in August. In March, we were told that they didn't work. Remember that? So here we are, wearing them. And uh, what a a year it has been. What a crazy time. But you know what? We're going to be gathering to give God praise today. We've already been doing it. Thank you, worship team, for your devotion. Tech team, for your devotion. You serve Jesus, and because of that, we are blessed. Yeah. Thank you. You can give them a hand clap. Today I'm talking about the topic of pride. And I joked with our worship team, it took me about four hours before I acknowledged the fact that I had a lot of it in my life. Sometimes we don't like to hear the things that we need to hear. We're reluctant, and we push up against it. And pride is one of those things that come to our hearts and it really presses up against our lives. Pride has a way of wooing us, doesn't it? Pride seduces us because it tells us we deserve more, and who doesn't wanna hear that? We want that. It tells you, pride has a way of telling you that you're all that. Pride is like that 90s R&B song singing to you, you'll always be a part of me. I'm part of you indefinitely. Boy, don't you know you can't escape me? Oh, darling, because you'll always be my baby. Pride has a way of causing us to feel like we are better than we think we are, than we think we ought to be thinking. And pride makes good things all about you. Pride makes bad things all about you. Because whether good or bad, pride makes the common denominator You. And so what happens is pride causes the world to revolve around us. Pride was the sin of our first parents in the Garden of Eden. When they succumbed to the promise, you will be like God, knowing good or evil. That's pride. Pride has been at the root of our ongoing sin. It was pride that convinced Cain that his brother should not have received recognition instead of him, so he killed Abel. Pride is what hoodwinked the people of Israel in the days of Samuel when they said, We want a king like the rest of the nations so that we can get the recognition that we deserve. Pride is what seduced the peoples in the plains of Babylon. when They built the Tower of Babel when they decided to make a name for themselves. Pride chases after us like a shadow on a sunny day. Pride is always behind us. It's in front of us because it's also within us. And pride brings forth a poisonous product in our lives. Left unchecked, it will consume your soul. Or as I've said before, pride is like the summer because it comes before the fall. Pride is a dangerous dangerous disease and today we're going to take a look at someone who fell prey to its seduction join with me if you can in the book of Daniel chapter 4 we always want to encourage you all to bring a bible with us uh, with you if you don't have a bible there are plenty of apps that also have the bible on them this is God's word and when we read it God is speaking When we're listening, we're hearing God's voice. I mean, let that sink in, right? That's pretty wild. We're in Daniel chapter 4. I'm going to open up reading the opening 18 verses. We're going to cover all 37 verses eventually here throughout this sermon. But I want you to see essentially the anatomy of a prideful heart. We're going to take a look at things that a proud heart does to us. So if you can, would you stand with me to your feet? As I read from Daniel chapter 4, Daniel is in the middle of your Bible and a little bit to the right of it. It is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27. And the the Old Testament is concealing the realities that Jesus is coming. And the New Testament has revealed the realities that Jesus has come. And here in Daniel chapter 4, we learn about God's plan as he works through a man named Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Daniel 4 verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. And it seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. is is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures from generation to generation to generation. Amen to that statement. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed and fancies and visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, can you say at last? At last Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O oh, Belteshazzar, Chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Verse 10 The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. This was his dream. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heaven lived in its branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, notice a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him, notice the pronoun, let him be wet with dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, And gives it to whom he will, and set over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, that's Daniel, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. This is God's word. You may be seated, church. King Nebuchadnezzar is a man with many dreams and visions. And for some reason, God sees it fit to speak to this man in this way. Now, what I like about this passage, it begins with the conclusion. You ever seen a movie like that where the opening scene is actually the end of the movie, and then it's the screen splits, and then they tell you how they got to that opening scene, and at the end of the movie, the opening scene starts to make sense again? That's what this chapter is like. The first three verses, King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, hey, this is where I'm at right now. And verses four and following are like, this is how I got there. And the opening verses, he says, this is where I'm at. Where he's at is this. He says, verse two, it has seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done in my life. He says, it seems good to me. In fact, some other Bible translations say, it was my pleasure, it's my pleasure to tell you what the Most High God has done in my life. Now these are remarkable words when consider who is uttering them. This is the king of Babylon. This is not a man of the people of Israel. This is not a worshiper of Yahweh. This is Nebuchadnezzar II, the the most ruthless and wicked king on the planet. And he says, it's my pleasure to tell you about the Most High God. Look at church, when we have an encounter with the most high God, it should be our pleasure to tell people about him. When God rocks our lives, it should seem good to us to tell people what God has done to get us to where we're at. And here even the most wicked of men is compelled to tell us what God has done for his life. How much more those of us who've been saved by the blood of Jesus, if you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. His praise should be on your lips. We should not be able to hold anything back. And here Nebuchadnezzar says this, How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. I mean, he's talking about our God here. He goes on to say, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. He concludes that the God of Israel is unmatched. He concludes that this king, this king is the one whose throne will never be removed. He concludes that this God rules over all the earth, and his ruling will endure from one generation to the next generation. As I read this, I'm thinking, I want to know what God did to this dude to make this man conclude what he's concluded. I want to know what God has done. And Nebuchadnezzar, praise be to God, tells us. He says in verse 4, I was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Isn't that the way it often starts when God's at work? I was at home nice and comfortable when God made me uncomfortable. When I was relying on myself, God showed me I was not so reliable. When I thought I had it all together, God showed me that he was actually the glue. When I thought that I didn't need God, God came in my life, said, I am everything you need. is like, look, I was at my house. I was at ease. I was chilling with my feet up. I was prospering. Life was good. It was like 2020 when the clock sounded in January 1st. It was the roaring 20s. We were stepping into a new year. We had our 2020 vision. The economy was booming. Life was prosperous. Things were easy, but God. We found ourselves January 1st, where Nebuchadnezzar found himself in verse 4, at ease in our own little palace, prospering. He says he had a vision. And he says this vision made him afraid and alarmed him he was startled by what he saw. In his dream, as I read for you a moment ago, he saw this great tree in the middle of all the earth, and it was tall, it was lofty, and it was so grand that the fruit was bearing, that all the animals around could come and eat from it. In fact, it cast a great shadow so people can find shelter underneath it from the sun. This beautiful tree in his vision was something that he thought was beautiful and uh, was something that was of of praiseworthiness. But then in his vision, there was this holy one, this watcher, this angelic being who comes down and makes this horrible decree, saying in verse verse, uh, 13 and 14, to chop down the tree, to lop off its branches, to bind up the tree. And cause everything around it to scatter. Then in this vision, he's told that it says, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth in verses 15 and 16. And let his mind be changed to a beast's mind. And Nebuchadnezzar is listening to this vision like, what in the world does this mean? A tree that was great, it gets chopped down. Then there's somebody whose mind goes crazy that's going to be wet with the dew of the earth. And then the purpose of the dream is said there in verse 17. Look at that. To the end that. That's the goal. That's the whole purpose of the king's dream. So that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he sets over the lowliest of men. Nebuchadnezzar is startled. He needs to know what this dream means. It clearly has a symbol to it. It clearly is there for interpretation. And as he's done in previous chapters, he brought all the smart people in Babylon together. All the magicians, all the people who had their responsibility of interpreting this dream, they came there and guess what? They couldn't do it. And then he says, at last, at last, at last in verse 8. Daniel shows up. And for him, it's like, yo, Daniel, I know you did this before. I'm going to need you to do it again. Daniel at last showed up because it's likely Daniel wasn't around. Maybe Daniel was out serving in other kind of diplomatic responsibilities that he had in Babylon. The king called for Daniel. And at last he came and Daniel comes. And what Daniel's about to do is give the king the interpretation of his dream. But what Daniel is also about to do is give the king also an interpretation of the king's heart. And we're about to find four lessons of a proud heart that God intends to humble. This is the purpose of the dream. Daniel was told the dream by the king. And in verse 19, we're told that Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed. For a while, and his thoughts alarmed him, and he answered the king. I'm sorry, the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Like, hey, bro, don't sweat it, man. Just tell me. Just tell me what it means. And Daniel's like, you don't understand. What God is telling me, he says, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. What I'm about to tell you, king. You're going to wish I was telling to all the people around you that you don't like. You're going to wish I wasn't telling this to you. And what Daniel goes on to say in verse 22, he says, King, that tree, that great tree, the one that gets cut down, in verse 22 he says, first three words, it is you. You are the king, the tree that needs to be cut down. And he says, you are the one who's going to be lopped in pieces. You are the one from whom others will flee. Because in verse 25, it says, you shall, And as you are the one who will be driven from among men, and your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Daniel is basically saying, King, God has a message for you because you seem to not get through your head that God is the one who rules the kingdoms of this earth. The first thing we see about, a pride, about pride and a proud heart is that it tends to ignore God's reign. A proud heart ignores that God is a king over all the earth. A proud heart seems to think that we ourselves are in control. And Nebuchadnezzar was guilty. You see, what Daniel says, he says, King, God wants you to know, in verse 25, that he rules kingdoms and he gives kingdoms to whomever he wants to give it to you. So, King, essentially, you're there as the king because my God put you there. And your proud heart seems to ignore this very fact. Now let's make something very clear, church family. Just because God establishes a ruler, doesn't mean God endorses that ruler. Just because God puts someone in power, doesn't mean that God is in favor of their power. All it means is that God has a plan to work through that individual. King Nebuchadnezzar was there because God put him there, but God's not pleased in King Nebuchadnezzar. What we find out, actually, as we read the Bible, God put Nebuchadnezzar there because God's not pleased in Israel. Yeah. You see, God told his people in the book of Deuteronomy, when you follow me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to cause your kings to thrive. And he says, David, as that great king, Solomon's kingdom thrives until King Solomon goes wayward And his kingdom gets divided and the nation of Israel spirals out of control. And God's like, look, with those blessings also came cursings because I'll bless you when you follow me. But I'm going to bring my judgment when you turn from me. And Israel, you're turning from me. So I'm going to send my prophets to turn you back to me. But the Jews started killing the prophets. They turned away from God, and finally God's like, My patience has run thin. At the climax of my judgment, I told you, I'm going to bring in another nation to conquer you. But the problem is, that nation is actually more wicked than you are. But they will be my tool in my hand. In fact, the book of Obadiah, Obadiah cries out, God, your people are wicked. You got to do something about them. God's like, I'm about to do it. And Obadiah's like, praise the Lord. God's like, I'm sending Babylon. And Obadiah's like, God, they're worse than we are. How can you do that? God's like, their time will come. I'm establishing him. I'm not endorsing him. He's going to accomplish my purpose. But Babylon's time will come. But right now, let's talk about my people. You see, church family, we got to understand that God is ultimately the one who reigns. God is the one who controls all things. And the problem with Nebuchadnezzar is actually he saw aspects of God's reign in the previous three chapters. As I told you earlier on, the first four chapters of this book, King Nebuchadnezzar would set himself up against God. And in each of those chapters, God would show that he's greater. But this is what startles me, and I hope startles you, is that Nebuchadnezzar on the one hand, at one moment, could acknowledge that God is the one who reigns, and on the other hand, at another moment, put himself up against God. Nebuchadnezzar does what you and I often do. We give God lip service with our mouth, but deny him with our lives. We praise God's reign, but we live as if he's not king. We call him Lord, but we don't submit to him. This is what Nebuchadnezzar has done. Some people call this Christian atheism, where we acknowledge God, but we deny him with our lives. See, a proud heart wants to put ourselves up above God. We do so through pity parties. We do so through praising ourselves. But at the end of the day, as I said, pride makes a common denominator, you. Nebuchadnezzar was guilty, and Daniel's like, that vision was for you because you don't seem to understand that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. That's the first sign of a proud heart. But the second sign of a proud heart is a refusal to repent. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar understood that God was against him, but he didn't change his ways. In fact, Daniel, I love this. I mean, this, is, this blows me away in verse 27. Verse 27. Daniel says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. King, I'm about to tell you what you need to do in light of what you saw in this vision. He says, break off your sin by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be lengthening of your prosperity. Hear what Daniel's saying. King Nebuchadnezzar, if you might be able to avert God's judgment upon you, the only way you would do so is if you repent of your sin, if you break off the mess that you're in, if you turn away from your wicked ways, then God may show mercy to you. In particular, what made Nebuchadnezzar so wicked? Oh, Daniel specifically says, start practicing righteousness. See, the word "righteousness" in the Old Testament is used synonymously with justice. He's saying, "You're an unjust king. You're, you're not showing justice in your land. In particular, in particular, you uh, break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. You're actually oppressing people, and you don't care about them. You don't care about the poor. You don't care about the vulnerable. You don't care about the oppressed. I find Daniel's courage so strengthening for me. I mean, the nerve that this man had at this moment to stand before the guy who at the snap of his fingers can execute him and to say, hey, king, you are evil, and you need to turn away church we the church need to have the prophetic courage of daniel in our day we 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 need to have that same kind of confidence in god that led daniel to speak the truth without fear of recompense my my great fear in our nation as things continue to spiral out of control in highly politicized environments with the left and the right drawing lines and the church being told that we have to pick and we don't. We don't. See, the church can advocate for justice. The church can advocate for life from the womb until the tomb. And the church doesn't have to align with one party that may deny the one in, 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 in order to promote the other. We, we don't have to choose. We're people of the king. Daniel was not ready to, to draw allegiances to anyone other than Yahweh, his God. I think we as a church need to continue to hold our public leaders in this city, in our state, and in our nation accountable to acts of injustice to leg- when they legislate things that oppress the poor. Now, I realize these things are difficult to discern, but we must speak truth, church. Because when we remain silent or when we snuggle up to a political party and are afraid to speak out against it, we are then denying the God that we serve. And this happens on both sides of the political spectrum. Here, this king was wicked. This leader was evil. And Daniel was not afraid to say it. But here's another thing, and this also is lacking in our nation, is Daniel also, though, had compassion for the leader he called out. This doesn't happen in our country, and it's a shame. It's so easy to vilify public leaders who don't know Jesus when the reality is they don't know Jesus. What's Daniel's first response when God gives him the interpretation? It tells us here in verse 19 that he was dismayed and alarmed. He said, oh, king, I wish this was for your enemies. Daniel had compassion for his wicked king. Daniel had compassion for this man who was lost. So while having compassion, he also knew he had to speak the truth. And if we, the church, would do that, what a difference we'd make. What a difference we'd make. Jesus says, bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies, turn the other cheek, and hold on to your witness. Nebuchadnezzar had a proud heart and refused to repent. But as we look in the mirror, we can see those same things in him, in us. The same things we see in our government officials that we could sometimes be so critical of. We see in him or her, and we see them in us. At the end of the day, pride has a way of blinding us. And in fact, even when we see our evil, we become very reluctant to repent. Because we see there in verse 28, all this came upon the king, king Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Notice, the end of 12 months, that's a year. Daniel's charge to Nebuchadnezzar lingered around for a year, and the king did nothing about it. He was there for 12 months comfortable in his pride, comfortable in his unjust ways, comfortable in his evil, comfortable in his sin. And for 12 months, God gave him time to repent. Think about that. See, in the book of Second Peter, Peter says, look, Jesus hasn't come back not because God's slow to respond, but because God is abundant in his patience. Because every day Jesus lingers to come back. is an extra day he gives to you and I or those who don't know Jesus to turn away from our sin and turn to him. And for 12 months, God's like, Nebuchadnezzar, you got to come to me. For 12 months, day after day, month after month, this is God's mercy. And some here, maybe you have been giving God uh, lip service but not really turning to him, and you're living on borrowed time. God's been extra patient with you. And don't let it linger any longer. Don't let what God had told you two days ago or three weeks ago or two months ago or three years ago go by your ear and holding God at arm's length. God's saying, humble yourself. Come to me. Break off that sin. Turn away from those things. Come to me. And we make excuses day after day and week and month after month. God's patient. But don't test his patience. Nebuchadnezzar tested God's patience. And what he did was continue to persist in his proud heart. We see that thirdly, a proud heart takes credit for what God has done. You see, in verse 29, as he was walking on the rooftop of the royal palace of Babylon, verse 30, the king answered himself and said, Is not this great Babylon which I, can you say I, I have built by my, would you say my, my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my, can you say my, my majesty? I have built my mighty power, my majesty. King Nebuchadnezzar and his proud heart is taking credit for what he sees there in Babylon. This is the epitome of pride, taking credit for what God has done. You see, the kingdom of Babylon was a beautiful kingdom. As you walked in, there was something called the Ishtar Gate. Uh, archaeologists have uncovered aspects of this gate. It was some 38 feet tall, made by glazed bricks. And in this brick, that was a blue kind of brick, was inlaid with, with uh, images of a dragon and bulls. It was beautiful In fact, Saddam Hussein tried to re-erect the Ishtar Gate because he wanted to be kind of the new king of Babylon there in Iraq. But Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was one to be uh, amazed at. He renovated temples, and he was known for creating one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Now, some have wondered how authentic these gardens were, but uh, Greek philosophers and poets have said this about the Hanging Gardens. There were gardens that were some 75 feet in the air, there on, on different stone tablets. These gardens were lush and beautiful, and it was said that Nebuchadnezzar made these gardens to make his wife happy, because he had a marriage alliance with a king in what is now Iran. and there in Babylon, they didn't have lush gardens. So he made this lush garden. But in order to do that, he had to bring water from the Euphrates River, which was some 15 miles away through some aqueducts, and then through a pump system, pump it up some 70 feet in the air. That's without electricity. These hanging gardens were a sight to behold. And if these tales are true, Nebuchadnezzar is there on the rooftop of his palace saying, yo, look what I did. Check out that garden. You've never seen that before. That blue gate, right here, this guy. King Nebuchadnezzar is very particular about his pronouns. I, me, and my. But God has a way of humbling those pronouns, doesn't he? God will always seek to humble the my to bring about the his. He will seek to humble ourselves so that we start giving him the praise and the glory. When you start finding yourself saying a lot of I, a lot of me, and a lot of my Pride is not far away. This is how we detect it in our hearts. And King Nebuchadnezzar is guilty for taking credit for what God has done. Look, you are talented people, church family. I know you all. I mean, there are gifts in this body that are through the roof. And some of you have gifts you still have yet to even uncover. But never for a moment, church, never for a moment take credit for it. Just a few days ago, we were joking with some friends saying how when you go to college, it's so easy to enter into a class super ignorant and come out of the class after a 50-minute lecture feeling like you know everything, right? And then you walk out of the class and you say, you didn't know about that? When an hour earlier, you didn't know anything about it either. This This is what learning does to us, and this is what our gifts do to us. You can't throw the ball like that, or you can't run that fast. You can't draw like this, or paint like that, or sing like this. When you know That that was all given to you by God, and then you're taking credit for what God has given you. That's a slippery slope, church. Be quick to let the pronouns that come from your lips be praise him. Glory to God. He has done this for me. Stay away from the I, the me, and the my. A proud heart takes credit for what God has done. But there's a fourth thing that is true of a proud heart. A proud heart will be humbled by God. Because you remember what Daniel said. King, you are that tree. It is you. God will chop it down. He will lop it off, and he will make his dwelling with the beasts of the field. And he will have the dew of the earth upon him. He will go mad. And what does God do? In verse 31, while, can you say the word while? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods, which seems to be referring to seven years of time, shall pass over you until you know, until you know, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. God humbled the proud. Nebuchadnezzar took on in a kind of insanity where he began to crawl on all fours and literally eat the grass of the earth. He would be outside overnight, so the morning dew was upon him. He refused to get his hair cut. His nails grew out, and this took place for seven years. Even in the record books of Nebuchadnezzar's reign in Babylonian history, there seems to be a gap about his stories towards the end of his life. And we can only conjecture that it was because there wasn't much taking place. He was stuck on his knees. God had humbled the proud because pride is like the summer. It comes before the fall. But what I also find here is actually the humbling is actually a part of God's mercy. Because this is what it would take for Nebuchadnezzar to see and say what he said in the opening three verses. Some of us here today might feel like God is humbling you. 2020 has humbled us. God has used the pandemic to humble the world. And I hope and pray that we respond like Nebuchadnezzar does. Because in our own prideful heart, we will do one of two things when God brings us low. Either we will become humble or we will become hardened. Hardened hearts hold on to our own rights and shake our fists at God. Humble hearts open our hands and say, God, have your way. Nebuchadnezzar in a stroke of God's providence opens his hand. This mighty Ruthless king over the land of Babylon says this in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures From generation to generation, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, as he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me as well. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was, was added to me. God put him back up. Why? We don't know. But we see this in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. And with those words, Nebuchadnezzar is done in the story of Daniel. We don't know the rest, but it appears that Nebuchadnezzar is humbled before God. He ends the story with praise on his lips, and he says, God is able to humble the proud. He had to learn what you and I need to know when we're stuck in our pride, that God is the king of heaven. That God alone should be praised and extolled. That God is the only one who is truly righteous and truly truly just. And that our God has the ability to humble the proud by his mighty hand. Church family, what's it going to take for you and I to humble ourselves before God? Because pride will steal your joy. It will rob you of peace. It will take away your hope. It will ultimately drive you mad. You will feel as if you never have enough because of pride. It will leave you chasing and never discovering, seeking but never finding, lost and in a whirlwind. It will tell you that others are the problem, and things would only be better if people did things your way. Pride left unchecked will consume your soul and pride has a poisonous product. It ignores God's reign. It refuses to repent. It takes credit for what God has done and it will ultimately be humbled by God because pride is like the summer. It comes before the fall. When I was comfortable, God made me uncomfortable. When I relied on myself, God showed me I was not so reliable. When I thought I had it all together, God showed me that he was the glue. When I thought I didn't need God, God showed me that all in life that is good comes from him. What will you and I do at these words? Will we get on our knees and say, Lord God, I submit myself to you. God, don't let me be so hardened that I need to get it judged as Nebuchadnezzar was. But God, keep me humble. Let me be quick to give you praise. Let me be quick to not make everything about me. Let me be quick to love others. Let me be quick to be gracious to others. Let me be quick to be patient. Let me be quick to acknowledge that you are king and that you are the one who rules. Poisonous is pride's product. But humility brings about something altogether more beautiful. Church family, resist the wooing and the seduction of pride. Humble yourself before God and see him exalted because he is patient with us. The cross of Jesus demonstrates God's patience and kindness. But don't live on borrowed time. Don't take it for granted. Quickly say, Lord, forgive me. Work in me. Jesus, I surrender to you. Be the Lord of my life. Let's pray. My God, we confess how quickly we are to make everything about us, to cause the world to revolve around us. God, I am so sorry for how I do that. Lord, we are so sorry. I pray for us as a church that we would lead by example, that we would be people marked by humility, taking our cues from Jesus, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. God, I pray that we would be salt on this earth, light in a dark place, that we would hold others accountable, but not judge as if we have it all together, not to be hypocritical, but to be prophetic, to be loving and compassionate, to be truth tellers, Lord, may these things typify our existence as we walk by your spirit. Lord, we do pray for our nation. We see so much pride. We see so much hate. So much anger. So much unrest. And God, we know so many feel these things because of a sense of justice and that's good. But they, so many take it out in the wrong ways because of pride. And then we see others who hold on to their rights and hold on to things and ways, God, that grieve you. Lord, I pray that we would thread that needle as a church, submitting ourselves to you. Help us, Lord. We need you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Church families, rise to our feet as we close in song. Lord, we thank you, God. Mighty God, we thank you, Lord, for the victory that's found in Jesus. God, uh, we just need you so bad. And, Lord, I just feel compelled in my heart to pray for our city right now. God, we know that our, our, our city of Chicago has reached national news because of violence. They were all sick to our stomachs. and So much back and forth going on among our leaders. God, I want to pray right now specifically for our alderman, Gilbert Viegas; for our mayor, Lori Lightfoot, for our governor, Pritzker, for President Trump, Vice President Pence, yes. our congressmen, God, our, our, our national leaders. Lord, I pray, God, that they would love justice, God. God, I pray that they would have an encounter with the living God as Nebuchadnezzar encountered you, yes. where they would say, It seems good to me to tell you what the Most High has done for me. I pray that their pronouns would be shifted, God. I pray that they would love what you love. And God, I pray that we would just have compassion towards them, even when we may disagree passionately. With the way they go about doing things at different times. But Lord, we pray for their salvation. And God, I also pray that we wouldn't sit around waiting for our government to do things. Lord, we know the peace on these blocks will only come through a radical outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our neighborhoods to bring salvation. Reconciliation and healing and Lord we are your ambassadors we are your mouthpieces we are your hands and feet so I pray that we would be about your business of declaring this good news go before us, Lord, embolden us because of our faith in you as Daniel was bold because of his faith in you pray this in jesus name amen before we dismiss church we want to invite you to hang out outside Um, we do need you to dismiss from the sanctuary kind of quickly because we have a team coming who's going to wipe down the chairs for the next service we're so grateful to see you all please get the word out there are others who long to be here but they don't know about here and they're waiting for your invitation and so let's go about god's work i want to leave you with this blessing do not fear as you go out for i am with you god says Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is God's promise for you. You are dismissed, church family. Love you guys. See you next week.